Oftentimes when people hear the word church, they think of a building. And, and through the years, they've often thought of buildings. When they hear the word church, they've often thought of a building with a cross or a steeple on the top. Or maybe when they hear the idea of church, they think of going to church, attending church on a local campus, a service just like this. But in reality, the church is much more than a place. The church is people. The church consists of Jesus' followers. When you study the New Testament, there is an original Greek word there for the word church, and we know it as ecclesia. Uh, It simply means called out ones. Maybe you've heard the terminology ecclesiology, which is the study of the church and how God designed the church to be and live. The idea here is that it refers to a people who are called out from among the world and the way of thinking like the world and the way of living like the world and of living in darkness and in our own rebellion and in sin and called together as God's family for a purpose. Now, Jesus died for individuals who would repent of their sin and believe in Him. That's true. But Jesus died so that those individuals would then come together and form His church. In reality, we're part of the greatest building project known to mankind, and it's not a physical location. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, And you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. What's more, you are His holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You are the living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. If we understand that, then we understand the church is more than just EPAG. 16591 Doug Lake Trail. In reality, the church is first universal. All around the world, people have made a decision to follow Jesus and are actively following Him. We're all part of the same family of God, the spiritual temple of God, and we will all spend eternity together. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we find this picture of what heaven will look like with every tribe and every tongue and every nation, every people represented around the throne of God. That's because you and I today, we may lose sight of this sometimes because we live in a different cultural context, but in reality, we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, probably in countries and nations and people groups that you wouldn't even think possible. We have brothers and sisters all over the place. Jesus' followers, who are the church, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Now, in the Old Testament, when you read through, especially in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, God's dwelling was experienced often in a a physical building of sorts known as a temple or a tabernacle. But in the New Testament, after Jesus' death and resurrection, there was a shift that took place. No longer was God's dwelling somewhat limited, if you will, to a building or even the Holy Spirit limited to just coming upon someone just for a special assignment or purpose. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but I also don't want to minimize this. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. Are you understanding that? That's powerful to think about. 
God living and dwelling in us. In Scripture, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Why is the conversation about marriage in our culture today uh, so important? Why is marriage in Scripture repeatedly talked about and central to the heart of God? And I would even go far enough to say, why is marriage often so much under attack? Well, the reality is the design of marriage is intended to represent Jesus and His church. Jesus and Jesus' followers. If you want to read a passage that speaks a lot to marriage, you can go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 27. And oftentimes when people are teaching about marriage, they will reference this passage. In this passage, people stumble up on a few of these things, but the idea here ends in mutual submission. To get to that point, the Apostle Paul writes about the wife submitting to the husband because the husband loves the wife as Christ loves the church. Now, I don't have time to preach a series on marriage today. Maybe one day we'll come across that topic. But I can tell you this, it's a lot easier for wives to follow the spiritual leadership of their husbands when husbands are loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Boy, that was weak. I thought at least the ladies would say amen to that. But Jesus lived, I mean, he died. He gave himself sacrificially so that he would have his church. He loves his church. He's jealous for, if you will, his church. And so when, when the idea of Ephesians chapter 5 is that as we live in marriage in our lives, it's a representation of Jesus and the church. Jesus loves his followers. He gave his life so that people could be a part of God's family. He loves his church. He desires intimacy with us, close relationship with every Jesus follower. And in return, we as the bride of Christ, the church is devoted to Jesus, faithfully following Him as evidence of our love for Him. You see what I'm saying? That marriage relationship is actually designed to be a visual representation, a life representation of Jesus and the church. This is why the conversation about marriage is so important. Scripture is full of that. We also see that the church in Scripture is referred to with imagery known as the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, we see that the church is one people. Not just a bunch of different people, but one people coming together, the church, one body with many different parts. There are many different people Many different backgrounds, many different stories, many different parts, many different giftings, many different skill sets, but they're all brought together in the same way. We're all brought into God's family through Jesus, believing in Him, following Him, and then used by Him to all journey in unity with His design for us. Coming together with many different abilities, with one purpose. One purpose. To love and to serve Jesus all of our days. When the church begins, and we've probably all heard stories like this, when, when a local church begins to experience conflict, when, when things get tense, and you hear these kinds of stories that circulate, sometimes, unfortunately, they even make the news. When those type of things happen, I would contend that somebody somewhere is fighting for themselves and their own agenda rather than desiring to walk in unity and follow Christ. It comes down to us all 
following Jesus. We get a snapshot of this idea of the body of Christ, his church, and what, who we're to be and what we're to do when we get to the book of Acts. Now, I've said before, Acts, I believe, is more than just a history of the church. I believe Acts is a description of what Jesus wants his church to be and do. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, like we just did, but also the, the understanding in Acts chapter 2 is they did this in homes together. They did this in other moments besides just in a large group setting. They devoted themselves to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the meals or the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. If, if you want a snapshot or a picture of who Jesus wants us to be and how he wants us to live, all you have to do is open up Acts chapter 2 at the end of the chapter. And I don't believe this is just intended to be a picture seen in a photo album as we look through the history of the church. This is our example. This is the heart of Christ. This is the life of following Jesus together. Now, there have been a lot of things said lately about the church. A lot of people have a lot of criticisms about churches and the church. Many people have gone far enough to say that the church today is irrelevant and out of touch. Other people have said that the church has actually done damage to many people and as a result many people have abandoned the church or abandoned a local church. And i got to tell you, I don't know that that's all false. There have been times where people in the name of Christ have poorly represented Christ. There have been times where people have gotten caught up in fleshly things rather than living and leading by the power of the Holy Spirit and in love. I, I do think there's probably some truth that there are people who have been hurt through the years in the church world. I'm not talking about people who maybe are just simply bothered by hearing the truth. There are enough people that probably are simply bothered by hearing the truth and they're offended because the truth stepped on their toes a little bit. Okay? But I'm talking about people who genuinely were mistreated in the name of Christ. There are also many things going around. If you've studied anything or read any articles that are out there on church growth, church trends, what the future of the church might look like, uh, I, I come across those things. I've got to be honest with you. I don't go looking for them usually because they can be depressing. Uh, it's kind of like watching the news on television. I'm not naive. i got a good idea what's going on in the world, but I don't watch it much for mental health reasons. I mean, really, because it, it will drive you nuts and make you mad. Just being honest. But, but there are many reports that are talking about the church as a group, a large group, the church with a capital C, being in decline. I think I've shared before that I, I have a book in my office, uh, actually maybe at home at the moment, I have a book that says, in the Twin Cities metro area, this is not another part of the United States, this is right here, 
not another part of the world, but right here, that in the next 20 to 25 years, if the population continues to trend towards those who are coming from other lands, uh, those who are influenced by other world religions, if population continues to go the direction it is with all of the influence that's coming from all over the world, if, if witchcraft in our area continues to grow, if, if people continue to go to church and be a part of a local church less and less, if the trends continue the way they are right now, that somewhere in the window between 2035 and 2055, we're looking at virtually zero church attendance in the Twin Cities area. So when you read reports like that, you can be discouraged. And if you allow those reports to begin to identify uh, the church and begin to speak over the church, then you'll begin to believe that the church is defeated, that the church is powerless. You'll begin to believe that there's nothing that can be done about it. I understand there may be a little bit of validity to some of the things we're sharing, but I would contend today that when the church is living the way God intended, she is a beautiful living being and a force to be reckoned with. Whatever statistics say today in our world, there will always be the church. Local churches may close, and i got to be honest with you. I've seen it firsthand. I can give you some reasons why sometimes local churches close. And some of that cannot just be blamed on culture. Some of it needs to be blamed on the reality that a people begin inward, became inward-focused and self-focused and preference-focused and quit reaching people for the cause of Christ, and so their doors shut because they literally died off. Let's call it what it is. There are times that local churches may close, but there will always be a people who love Jesus and who are committed to following Christ together. I take Jesus at His word. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. My church isn't going anywhere. I've died for my church. I've established my church. And I will continue to build my church. And then he went further. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that doesn't just mean coming against us. That means the church, when we're living the way God intends, can charge through the gates of hell and take enemy territory for the cause of Jesus Christ. I didn't get to preach last week. <laughs> the true church of Jesus is alive and well. The church is a living organism through which Christ reveals himself to the world. And while the world seems to be decaying before our very eyes, I actually believe the flip side of all the statistical information you can read, I believe these can be some of the greatest days for the church of Jesus Christ that the world has ever seen. Where there is darkness, there is a need for light. Where there is sickness, there is a need for the cure. Where there is trouble, there is a need for joy and peace. Where there is division, there is a need for togetherness and unity. And the church of Jesus Christ has the answer for the world today. Some people say, I, I, and we've talked about this, I, I, I never thought I'd see this. I never thought I'd live in a time like this. I never thought, I never thought all these things would be going on, and I get it. I'm with you. There are times that it's hard to understand the thinking and the processing of what's going on in our world today. 
And it would be tempting to think that the world's never been this bad before. In reality, when you read through Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, you find out there were a lot of issues in people then too. Sin's always been a problem. But I want to remind us today that while we can feel like sometimes that the opposition towards true Christianity is growing, we get to be alive in this very moment. Think about this. I'm not alive generations ago. I'm I'm alive right now. You, You are alive right now. Could it be that in this moment, In this very generation, we're alive for such a time as this. That this is not the time to back down, but to stand and to be who Jesus wants wants us to be. We are His church. We're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the representation of Jesus to the world. What if this is our moment? What if this is the time to shine and be the light of the world? What if this is the moment we're in when it seems like there's so much darkness, the light can shine the brightest? I mean, come on. And while the church is more than just Eden Prairie Assembly of God, we understand that the church, within the church, with the capital C, there are also local churches and groups of Jesus followers. We see this in the New Testament. Paul, as a pioneer missionary, would travel and take the gospel. And there he would take the message, and as people would begin to receive the message, there would spring up a new local group of believers, a new local church, if you will. You think about the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, the church of Laodicea. You can think through all of those. And here, in this group of people, in a local church, it's not just about picking the place that fits all the things you want it to fit. It's not just about having the right air temperature in the auditorium. It's not just about having the right light or the right ambiance. It's not just about having the perfect kids ministry. It's not just about having all the things that people often treat churches with in mind when they consider what church they're going to be a part of. I mean, we treat local churches kind of like restaurants. If we go to it and we like it, we go back. If we don't like it, we don't go back and we tell everybody we didn't like it. But the local church is more than a place where we're trying to get preferences met. The local church is a group of people that shares a common relationship with God, a common faith in Jesus, and a common or same passion for and pursuit of God. We're part of a spiritual fellowship sharing the same craving, sharing the same passion, sharing the same pursuit, all having been brought into God's family through the power of Jesus and His Word. And there are many blessings of being a part of a local community of believers. And I want to talk to you about one of them today. And I simply want to call it community. There's a group of Jesus followers that are a part of this local church called Eden Prairie Assembly of God. And we're on a journey of life together. We've we've said yes to Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you haven't said yes to following Jesus. And today's the day that you say yes. And you're becoming part of the family of God. And you're wanting to be part of this journey together. We're a group of people who've decided to follow Jesus and who are on this journey of life together. We want to honor God. We want to live for God. We want to be always pointed towards Christ and ready for eternity. We want to be connected, not isolated, not on our own, but sharing that commonality, that common faith, that like-mindedness with other people. 
Scripture describes that Christ-centered community, life together centered around Jesus, leads to many benefits. Number one, true community. Scripture describes that Christ-centered community centers around fellowship. We read a passage a moment ago from Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we see a people that did life together. They ate in each other's homes. They, they went to the temple together to praise God. They spent time together. They prayed together. They learned the word of God and the truth together. They were attentive to life together, meals together. I mean, goodness, we like to eat. I mean, really, we gave you gluten-free communion this morning, but we're getting ready to feed you yo-yo donuts between services. We like to eat. Being together on this journey, church, means more than just being in this room at the same time on a Sunday. Being on this journey means truly doing life together. And, and i got to tell you, when I think about my life growing up, and I, and I admit my story can be different from other people. I grew up in the church. I grew up with parents who were faithfully to, faithful to be involved in the church. I grew up being there. I, I think the old saying was, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I got drugged to church every time the doors were open. But I mean, really, I was there. We had the key, and if we didn't have the key, we knew how to open it anyway. Neither here nor there. We really did love Jesus, I promise. That was the only door we were picking, don't worry. But I can, I can vividly remember, it wasn't just the moments in service when the Holy Spirit was at work. It was the moments afterwards when we would eat together, when we would spend time together. I have people today that I'm connected with that we were both kids or we were all kids when I was growing up and we spent time together. And it may not have seemed like much just running around on the playground at Burger King. I don't think either one of those things exists much anymore. But it, when we were running around on the playground at one of those local places, it didn't seem like much. But years later, we're still connected. Those parents are still connected. That local church grew together in those times of fellowship. Why? Well, when we got together, we didn't have to worry about if someone was going to be criticized because they did or didn't do something. We all had that commonality of wanting to honor God. We all had that commonality of wanting to encourage one another. We all had that commonality of understanding the Word and wanting to grow. And that fellowship became times of great laughter. You know, it's okay to laugh as a Christian. I don't know if you know that. Some of you do, because you're laughing, and the rest of you aren't. <laughs> but those times of fellowship were encouraging. Why? Because we need those moments of fellowship. We need those moments of laughter. We need those moments of joy doing life together. Secondly, the, the value of community leads to growth. In Acts chapter 2, we see that there were a people committed to the Word of God. And in Acts 2, we see it worded as they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The idea is the disciples were teaching what God had spoken into their life and revealed to them because at that time, they didn't necessarily have the full Bible like we do now. They had more of what took place in the Old Testament, all the prophecies and promises leading up to the Messiah, and then knowing the eyewitnesses' accounts of Jesus Himself living, dying, and rising again. But they pushed it. They taught it. They, they ingrained it into other people. And people were devoted. Notice that word. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to following God. They were committed to continuing to grow. They were committed to prayer. And you see all throughout the book of Acts, the work of the Holy Spirit taking place in that early church. There was growth. 
The Holy Spirit was raising them up. The Holy Spirit was teaching them. The Holy Spirit was empowering them. The Holy Spirit was convicting. The Holy Spirit was doing so many incredible, incredible things. And the early church was growing spiritually. And then they were also, because they were who Jesus wanted them to be, they were also growing numerically because people daily were added, being added to the family. The day of Pentecost was 3,000. You flip over a few more, you find it's already up to 5,000. You keep going and the gospel is spreading from one central place into all of these other places. Just as Jesus said, there's growth taking place. And if that's not enough, the benefit of community leads to encouragement and motivation. i got to tell you today, we need each other. There are moments in life when we need someone to be there for us. There are moments in life when we just need a swift kick in the backside. There are moments in life when when we need someone to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let me pause and say... In this world today, you're going to be tempted to give up on Jesus at some point. You're going to be tempted to compromise on the Word of God. You're going to be tempted to follow your own ways and follow the ways of culture. You're going to have voices pressing in on you constantly. The Scripture is clear that we need to hold unswervingly or without compromise or without letting go to the hope that we profess. How can we do that? Because God is God. He's always been God. He is God. He always will be God. And He never changes. Everything he said, he will do. So we can take him at his word. We can hold to the confident expectation of the future because of who God is. Listen to what he says, the writer of Hebrews. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now... Uh, you may think that I'm getting ready to say this, these verses teach that you should come to church every time the doors are open. I'm not just saying that today. Do I think it's important that we gather in a large group setting? Absolutely. Do I think that God can do incredible things? Do I think that one service like this of worship and the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit can change someone's life? You better believe it. Absolutely, I do. But this is more than just the religious exercise of a Sunday or a Wednesday. This is doing life together. This is when the pull of the world is tugging at your life. You need those in your life who are going to help keep you pointed to Jesus. They're going to spur you on. They're going to motivate you. They're going to encourage you. And and then what I love about this is the writer of Hebrews says, and do it even more as you see the day approaching. Now's not the time to do it less. Now's the time to do it more. Now's not the time to disconnect. Now's the time to plug in. Now's not the time to be isolated. Now's the time to journey together. Why? Well, the enemy's going to be coming at you. The world's going to be coming at you. All the voices are going to be coming at you. Life's going to be coming at you. And if we're going to walk with Jesus and stick this thing out and persevere, then we need each other to encourage one another, to be together, to spur one another on. And and the signs are clearly pointing to all the things that God has aligned in these latter days. And we're told to be together even more now than ever before. And lastly, I would say that community leads to the opportunity for care. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12, 13, just a few verses later, says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. How do you do that without interacting and being together? But the one that I want to highlight today in particular in this chapter, Romans 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Life together in the body of Christ is about being there for one another. Now, there's two sides to this. I can be there for you. You can be there for someone else. But it does take us being willing to walk with people, be vulnerable, and admit when we have need. Right? The challenge we have in in human living is that we can all have a tendency to be prideful. Maybe we even grew up with this idea, you got to just pull up your bootstraps and keep trucking, right? You can't give in, you can't give up, you can't give out. You just got to keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. And sometimes because of that, we don't always readily admit when we need somebody to be with us. We don't always admit when we need help. And yes, I understand That I can go to Jesus and take my burdens. I understand. I'm not minimizing our relationship with God as individuals. But I am saying God designed it that we would do life together. So that Jesus can work through all of us to benefit one another. And sometimes it means we need to say, you know what? I need somebody I can drink coffee with. I need somebody I can cry with. I need somebody I can be honest with about what I'm feeling and what I'm sensing and what's going on in my life. I need to be able to be honest with this loss and this grief in my heart. I need to be able to celebrate with other people when things are going well. We need that in each other. You don't get all of this solely on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. These times together are important. Large group moments are important, but there is a depth when our journey together is more than just meeting in the same place on a Sunday. We need each other. We need depth. Togetherness brings life. Isolation brings death. Togetherness brings growth. Isolation brings weakness, struggle, and failure. We need each other. I have a friend today who's going to help me finish up this message. We, we tried to figure out what his name was. <clears throat> we came up with Peter Parker. I don't think that's the right way to go, but here we are. I think I just broke his arm. You'll notice the Peter Parker reference is the Spider-Man shirt, by the way. I'd give you a hand, but... <laughs> so what happens in the body of Christ, just to, just to give us a visual for a moment... What happens in the body of Christ is we're all brought together through Jesus, right? And we're all plugged into the body of Christ. And yes, I could reattach this if I needed to. We're all plugged in. We all have different value. We, we all have different uh, giftings and skill sets. We all have different, different ways that God has des- designed us or wired us in our lives. And we all come together. And what we'll find out in the coming weeks is that Scripture teaches that every part of the body of Christ is valuable. One part of the body of Christ can't say to the other part of the body of Christ, you're worthless or you're useless. Scripture teaches that we're all valuable. We all have purpose. We all have giftings. What I've seen through the years, I mentioned a moment ago, I grew up in the church, and so what I saw was a church that really did life together a lot. Through the years, some things shifted in culture. 
And this is not to say that these things are inherently bad whatsoever, but I just want to give us an awareness for a moment. You could begin to find your social fulfillment in other ways. No longer was the church considered to be the center of life. People picked up other social clubs. Uh, Parents started involving their kids in different activities and groups. Again, nothing wrong with those things. But they began to find social fulfillment in those things and therefore began to isolate themselves from the church. Whereas church was the center hub of life, church kind of became more negotiable. As long as something else isn't happening, we'll be there. As long as something else isn't going on, we'll stay connected. I'm not sure we understood fully the value of the body of Christ. Well, then came along a couple of years ago this great thing called a pandemic. And people became, if they needed an excuse, they got another one. They became even more isolated. And so you had members of the body of Christ that understandably so on the front end, hear me out, understandably on the front end especially when nobody really knew what was going on and nobody really knew how to explain it all. And if I'm honest, I'm not sure anybody really fully knows today. But what began to happen is the church began to be pulled apart. And so you had members of the body of Christ that were alive and well when they were connected. But when they began to separate, and it became easier to just stay separated. Here's what I found. The more you miss church, the less you miss church. Some of y'all just getting that. The more you miss church, the less you miss church. And so what happened, and I'm not saying it was purposeful, but you can see how it began to separate people and people began to isolate. And now, in our nation, just hear me out, we're facing the largest mental health crisis we've ever faced. Are we not? We're dealing with more struggle for people in their individual lives than we ever have before. And it's not just in the world, it's in everybody. It's in the church too. And so we've got this isolation that's taking place and we wonder, man, why am I giving myself to this sinful way? Why am I failing at this? Why am I struggling at this? And what has happened, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be um, uh, inconsiderate of what I'm about to say, but I hope you'll hear me out. What happens is, just like the limb of a body when it's disconnected, there's no life. And then it becomes awkward to try to come back and reconnect, Right? I've seen this play out. And I can tell you as a pastor, when I talk to people, I used to joke, I couldn't walk up to someone in Walmart that had missed church and just say, hey, how are you doing, without them responding by, well, we were on a trip last week and we missed and we'll be right back. (laughs) Okay. I didn't keep your attendance last week, so all right. But I began to find that there was, a, there was something on the inside that said we're, we're missing that. But I began to see that it's become easier and easier and easier for people to stay disconnected. And there's not life in that. Last weekend, our family... Is it going to really bother you if I leave this arm off? Some of you OCD people in the room. <clears throat> Last week, our family was uh, down in a little area of Minnesota called Forestville. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. There's a state park there. And uh, we were tent camping, and we went to this place there called a mystery cave, the mystery cave. 
you pay to do this tour through the cave, and apparently you can actually go further in the tour and get into some spots where you actually have to crawl through these places. We didn't go that far. I'm a little claustrophobic for that, perhaps. We, we came across this beautiful, and I have a picture of it, we came across this beautiful aquifer where uh, water is there, and, and as you can see, uh, just so clear, so beautiful. I just took that on my phone. I mean, it doesn't even really do it justice. But we came to one spot in the tour, and uh, they have, they've installed, as you can see, they've installed all these different lights in different places, right? And so they can flip a switch and turn it on and off. Well, we had our kids with us, and so they begin to tell us, now we're getting ready to do something, and just, just make sure your kids know what's coming, make sure, make sure they're near you, because what they were about to do was turn the lights off. Now, mind you, I think at this point we were 65 feet below the surface level outside. And he turned the lights off. And I couldn't see anything. Couldn't see my hand in front of my face. Couldn't see the people standing right next to me. All I knew was I had a five-year-old gripping, death-gripping my leg. (laughs) That's all I knew. Here was the story he told Somebody asked a question, and he said that there are, there are rodents or animals that can get into these caves. And they wander in, but eventually they die because there's no light and there's no resources. And that they often find carcasses littered throughout the cave because when they get in, the darkness chokes out the light. And I knew what I was preaching this week, and I thought, what a great example. When we disconnect from the body of Christ, when we're separating ourselves, it's one thing if you're working, it's one thing if, you're, if you're, you've got a busy life and you've got some things going on that, that keep you disconnected at points. It's, it's, it's one thing to miss sometimes. I mean, obviously, I, I wasn't even here preaching last Sunday. There are times that people, everybody needs a break and a vacation and a relaxation. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there can come a point when if you're not careful, you will disconnect yourself from the life-giving opportunity that you have in the body of Christ. And I would challenge you that the Word is teaching us that rather than disconnecting during these times, we should be even more aggressively connecting within the body of Christ and doing life together. That's when we're going to grow That's when we're going to experience care for one another. That's when we're going to experience encouragement and motivation. That's when God's going to do some incredible things as we gather together. I'm not minimizing God can do things in our individual lives. I think that's fantastic. But God is clear in the Word that He gives us opportunities in the body of Christ to do this life together. I want to challenge you today to take a next step to connect deeper within the body of Christ. Perhaps it's like was mentioned in in video announcements this morning, even prior to the start of worship, and you're in a spot today where you're facing a moment in life you didn't expect to face. Maybe you're going through a divorce, been through a divorce, and today you're you're needing to journey with some people. 
you're dealing with all sorts of emotions. You're dealing with all sorts of challenges. You're, you're on the practical level with logistical challenges, on the greater level of trying to put on a good face for your kids in the middle of the greatest hurt you've ever experienced in your life. And today, you need to journey with somebody. You, you need someone who's been there. You need someone who's going through it with you. You need to journey together. That's why we mentioned earlier in this service the group called Divorce Care. Divorce care gives you an opportunity to journey with people. These types of specialized ministries give you an opportunity to not be judged, to not be criticized, but to step into a group and to say, you know what, I'm going through some tough stuff, and you can have the freedom to be vulnerable in those moments with people who have either been there or who are there with you. Or maybe it's the overarching opportunity. And by the way, you can sign up for Divorce Care on our website. There's a link there at the bottom. You can also do it on the app. Maybe it's overarching. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't say, hey, I'm in a spe- specific spot with divorce, but, but I've got other things going on, and I just, I just want the value of journeying together. I want to be able to sit down with someone over coffee, over a meal, and just do life together. I, I want more than just knowing who some people are in the large group. I, I want to get to know people. I want to go deeper. I want to connect. I will say, I have found that we are typically as connected as we choose to be. So if we want to be connected, we have to position ourselves to be connected. If we want to journey with people, then we've got to put ourselves in a place of journeying with people. So today I'm announcing to you that we're kicking off a new semester of life groups. Some of you are already involved in a life group. In fact, some of you have been part of a life group and you're continuing on in that life group. Other life groups have grown to the point we've, we've had to... to basically close a few because they're so large that some of them can't handle any more. I mean, I think we've got one group that's got like 40 people in their house when they meet. It's like a mini church. My wife and I have been a part of four different life groups, leading one and part of three others. And I can tell you the conversation, the laughter, the prayers, the opportunities that you have to journey with people. Here's what I've loved. There are many moments in these life groups that I've gotten a text from someone not on the day of a life group, not just saying, hey, are you coming bringing the food you're supposed to bring, but actually saying, hey, I'm still praying with you about this need, and I cannot tell you the encouragement that it is to know someone is standing with you. Life groups for me aren't just about giving you something else to do on your calendar. Life groups for me are about doing life together the way God intends. It's about fellowship. It's about care. It's about motivation and encouragement. As a church that's growing, I meet new people every week, and I I love it, but at the same time, I I know that, that... there's a possibility that, that people could feel maybe left behind or people could feel like, how do I take those next steps? That's why we do next steps lunch. That's why life groups are so important because I don't believe anyone in the body of Christ and anyone specifically at EPAG has to journey alone. I believe we can all journey together. I believe we can all feel that care and that love and experience that fellowship and that encouragement and motivation the way we really are designed to do. So I want to challenge you. Today, there's a QR code on the screen. You can scan that and sign up for a life group today if you haven't already. 
There are leaders I can see all over this room that have been trained. There are leaders that are doing a phenomenal job to take even the content from a day like this, even on Sunday mornings, and to be able to take that content and continue it on in a discussion in the life group, to be able to watch different videos that go along with this, to be able to journey through and continue that conversation. It's powerful. I've heard people talk about uh, in the last semester of life groups, they were, they were journeying through the, the series about the Holy Spirit in the month of May. And, and they were talking about the work and power and person of the Holy Spirit. And people were opening up with questions. And I'm just telling you, it's a great opportunity where you might not be able to ask a bunch of questions in this moment. You can ask questions. You can discover. You can explore the truth. You can learn more about Jesus. You can experience the, the dynamic of having someone journey with you. I want to challenge you today to lay down any excuse that you could make and to say, you know what? I want to follow what God has for us. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of journeying with someone else and I want to, I want to be with people who journey with me too. Would you stand with me today if you're in the auditorium and if you're online? Would you take a moment to respond with us as well? I'll ask any prayer team partners that are here if you'll make your way to either side, because I know today there may be some needs that, that you would love to pray with someone about. So I'm asking those prayer leaders to come and to stand on either side of the auditorium. They'll be available as service wraps up in a moment. I want to challenge you today. The great response to this message is to take that step to plug in deeper into the body of Christ, deeper in this community of faith. I don't care about how many people are in each group in the sense of trying to mark some tally sheet. I care that you're not isolated, struggling, and alone, and that you never have to say, I'm by myself. I care that every person who's going through any crisis has people journeying with them. I care that we get to know each other deeply and to serve one another faithfully through these opportunities. I'm going to pray for you. And then I challenge you to pray. I challenge you to respond if you have needs. I challenge you to go to the epag.church website, sign up for a life group, and let us help you get you plugged into one of these groups. Let's pray together today. Father, thank you for your word. I pray we take it to heart. I pray we not uh, blow past this. Um, I think it can be tempting sometimes to, to feel... Um, to feel nervous about putting ourselves out there, so to speak, about uh, building new relationships. I, I think uh, in our world, especially in the last couple of years, um, it's become even more and more awkward to, to form new relationships in some ways. Um, there are plenty of reasons we could use as to, as to why we don't have the time or we've got too much going on or but Lord, today we're saying we value so much your design for the church. We value so much the, the need that you created us with for relationship, Lord, with you and with others in the body of Christ. We, we want to grow. We want that fellowship. We want to care for one another. We want to serve one another. We want to motivate and encourage and be encouraged. So, Lord, today we'll take that next step. Today we'll honor you. Today we'll plug in deeper that we can experience all that you have for us. I pray as we take that step, People will be able to look back, oh God, even in the next few months and say, man, I'm glad I did that. That they'll see how much you have done in their lives as a result. 
Now, Father, I pray that you bless and keep this people. And you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance ever be turned their direction and grant them your peace. Go with us and use us to represent you to the world, I pray in Jesus' name.